Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hey, E.K. Wimmer. I'm Mariah Rose Wimmer, but I'm going to trial run pronouncing our last name Weimer. <laughs> Why would you do that? Everybody else seems to want to call us Weimer. So you're going to trial run it on our podcast? Uh-huh. Okay. I don't like it. Okay, well, you're listening to Laser Graves, <laughs> and this is an 80s podcast. Before we get into this week's episode... We have something exciting to talk about. We have been in quarantine for two months, and this is the first time we've been allowed to go outside and thrift again for our thrift store finds of the week that we have been just kind of BSing our way through for several episodes. And we're kind of going to BS our way through this one. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. Spoiler (laughs) alert. It's a huge disappointment. (laughs) Well, it's okay. And we're not officially out of quarantine yet. Some stores are opened, and it's like all masks all the time, everywhere, even in your dreams. You know, when you're quarantined, you just hold on to these hopes of like, it's all going to be different when this ends. Was this your number one thing that you were thinking about? This was definitely my number one thing was like, you know, what's crazy is all these thrift stores are going to finally have time to like go through everything. And by the time they open, it's going to just be a treasure trove of stuff. And I'm going to be there for the taken. Yep. And boy, was I wrong. Um... It was like a time capsule. I walked in and it was literally the exact same as the last day I saw it. It was as though they had been in quarantine. Yeah, not a single new item on the shelf. And I was so incredibly disappointed. I went to several thrift stores because I was like, well, I have to find something. After all this buildup for our podcast, we can finally do a thrift store find of the week again. I can't come up empty handed and... Uh, I did come up empty-handed. I found one thing, and that was a bundle pack of, like, ten blank VHS tapes so that I can make more copies of movies for my friends. That's real boring, but also useful. Well, that's it. Um, I don't have much more to report on my thrift store. Fine. Sorry, guys. Uh, Wish me luck for next time. Oh. But I do have a a funny thing. What? That is a secondhand find. So you know how through all of this, until we could get... To thrift stores again, we were just BSing with, like, things we found secondhand. Yeah, I think you took it... You did well. I did well because most of mine were just tapes that I was either trading or buying online. Yes. So I did have cool finds. Mm-hmm. I thought I was going to have, like, this epic find this week online because a couple friends and I discovered that there was this tape available for dirt cheap, and there were, like, three copies, so we were all going to swoop in and get it. Both of theirs got canceled. And mine was the only one that hadn't. And I was like, okay, well, fingers crossed it's going to go through. And then mine actually got shipped. And I was like, I can't believe it. I got it. That's awesome. Because it is a, I mean, I don't even know if it's that rare, but it was just a cool find at a a cheap price. Very excited. It Uh arrives and the bag is clearly not for a VHS. And I was like, oh no. And I open it up. And not only is it not the cool tape I was hoping for, although it had the barcode on the back with the name of the tape, it was a... uh, Beanie Babies price guide book. <laughs> was it a contemporary price guide? I don't know if it was a contemporary. I was just like, oh, man. <laughs> the only thing I could think is, well, at least I can talk about this on the podcast. Aww. So I dropped it back off at UPS to return yesterday. And the guy was like, well, I may have to flip through this before I box <laughs> it up. But Aww. that's that's all I got to report for you this week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's a really, really just... Uh, sad it's a thrift desert out there (laughs) it is speaking of which you did not find your stuff in the desert this week what did you get no i didn't i also this was actually my first time going to a store 
uh, since early March because the governor here in our area suggested as best practices to have one person from your household um, going out in public. And since you were you had to go out for your work occasionally, we just had you running all the errands. So I haven't been out in public at all beyond you know, walking from our house to the open desert <laughs> yeah. since collecting sticks since March. Yeah. So this was uh, a lot, especially I'm an extreme extrovert. So this was like, that was the irony because I'm ooh. an extreme introvert and I was the one that was going out in public and yes. you were the one that couldn't go out. I know. And I would ask you to report like, what did people do? And you're like, they shopped. <laughs> yeah. I didn't talk to anybody. Whereas you talk to everybody yeah. when we go out. Yeah. So I, I put on my mask and pro tip here that I learned. Um, maybe you you all have been wearing masks more frequently, but since I've been sort of clo- cloistered away, I have not had many opportunities. I ate a, an enormous garlicky pickle right before I put on my own mask, <laughs> and it was delicious, but I unfortunately ended up just blowing my own pickle breath back in my face. <laughs> but don't worry, I did not let that stop me. I walked around the thrift store, and I truly walked up and down every single aisle at least three times, smiled at people for the first lap, realized nobody smiles because you can't. You have a mask on and they can't see you Uh, smiling. Yeah, so it was just like torture for me. And I was like, (laughs) fine, I won't communicate with other humans still. So I started looking and I found a giant, it was like wooden and it's uh, lemon. It's Uh bright yellow and it says big lemon. (laughs) And I was like, yes, 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 yes. But then the little angel on my shoulder was like, wait, wait, you've been working so hard to downsize all of the craziness in the house and like make our home peaceful and not minimalist because that's not our style, but a little more peaceful. And so I carried Big Lemon around, set Big Lemon (laughs) down, came back, picked it up, set it down. But I also did grab something functional that I needed. And that was a basket so that I can live out my hippie dreams by um, gathering the herbs and things that I grow in our garden. Okay. And I ended up leaving Big Lemon. I know. I regret it. Well, this is a very depressing uh, start to our new era of thrift store finds of the week segment you know what i'm gonna go back and if big lemon's there okay big lemon's mine make up for lost time yeah okay well there you go guys that's um we're back we're back with thrift store finds of the week aren't you glad you waited it out (laughs) holy smokes so worth it (laughs) it really was All right. Well, this week we are talking about a cult classic and a precious one from many people's childhood that we have not um, done before, but we had talked about doing in the past. A long time ago, you had discussed maybe doing this and we just didn't. It was kind of on our short list. It's been bumped around a few times. Yeah. And it's a bit more mainstream than we're used to. But I was like, well, you know what? This one could be really cool to talk about and, and revisit. And this was actually kind of in a rare occasion, uh, was a suggestion from a longtime listener Mm -hmm. at Collect Horror, who has been following us for quite a while now, and is a trooper and listens to all the weird crap that we do. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering if they listened to Dance and Grannies this last episode. (laughs) Everybody did. You know, they uh, asked if maybe we could do something like Little Monsters, and we both were like, actually, we've been talking about that, so why not? So that's why we're doing it this week, so hopefully this is enjoyable. If not, sorry ahead of time. But Little Monsters, 1989, 
Okay, so I, I mean, we're children of the 80s, so I, I, th- I don't know if you could even exist in the 80s without watching this movie. And it had Fred Savage, so you had to watch it. Yeah. Because you, Fred Savage You couldn't it. proceed to the next grade in elementary school yeah, without <laughs> being up to date on the Fred Savage catalog. You could level up, yeah. Nope. Okay, well, I saw this a couple times. I was much more of um, a fan of The Wizard and definitely Princess Bride, for sure. Yeah. Who are um, you if you're not a fan of The Princess Bride? But I, has, I saw this a few times, but I have not, seriously have not seen it since I was probably Fred Savage's age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I really, yeah. probably a couple years older, but um, what about you? I think you have a much longer history with, with this yeah. one than I do. This was, so growing up in a small town in Montana, there were 11 movies for us to rent at the movie store. <laughs> it was like... Uh, all the pretty horses, Black Stallion. No, no, you're too too late. That's 90s. This okay. is 80s. So <laughs> this was one of the few because uh, my parents were very, very formal about their ratings. So it had to be PG or lower. Oh, man, they failed miserably. Yeah. Welcome to the PG ratings of the 1980s. I know, right? <laughs> well, so, we'll get into it, folks. Yeah, so I would rent this a lot. And I loved this film. I've seen it a lot, a yeah. lot, a lot. It is interesting, and what we're going to do is we'll walk through it, but it's also very fascinating to revisit films that you haven't seen since your childhood. Yes. I was reading an article the other day, and it was like the cautionary tale of revisiting precious films from your childhood. It's kind of similar to meeting celebrities that you really appreciate, like a band. Yeah. You go see a band, and then somebody's like, hey, you want to go backstage? I would advise, think strongly about doing that. Will it devastate you? Because I've got some stories, and some of them went well, and some of them, meeting band members, I was like, I don't know if I can listen to their music anymore. This guy's a big old fart face. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say revisiting movies from your childhood that you really hold precious, you run that same risk. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they hold up. Sometimes it's like, whoa, this is not anything like I remember. Yeah. Little Monsters, for me... There's a lot that I do remember, and I'm like, okay, what I did not catch the first time around was the mature content. Yes. And how incredibly dark and depressing this film is. Yeah. This is darker. You know, a lot of people talk about Return to Oz as being a very dark film, which we covered. Go back and listen. But that, I mean, that's nothing compared to this. I think this is a truly dark film, and the reason why is because people have written this off as being, you know, a very kind of simple surface story. Whimsical. And it's like a, uh, you know, a dollar store version of Beetlejuice, which it was kind of marketed as Beetlejuice for kids. And if that's a shock to you, you clearly haven't watched this recently. Honestly, like, truth be told... Have we shown our children Beetlejuice? I think we have. Yeah, because that was one of the 80s PG. Yeah, actually. When he sits there and starts yelling like F-bombs left and right. And we're like, whoops. But between the two, I would say this one's, or this one is less appropriate. Little Monsters is less appropriate for children. Incredibly more offensive and inappropriate. And disturbing. And disturbing, especially with the context of children in this one. So. Yeah, we... Don't watch this with your kids. Yeah, we screened this first, and everything, when I was doing my research, all the reviews were like, yeah, this film's amazing, love this film as my as a kid. Yeah. And I just think, you guys gotta watch this again, because you, as an adult, will not watch this the same way. It's like seeing a different movie. It is. It is still a fun movie to some degree. 
Well, you, you can cannot overlook how dark it is. No, I think you can go, oh, yeah, I remember imagining this or, you know, following, like getting really into that part or whatever. But as as you watch it again, it is. And the adult content different. will be lost on you as a kid. Yes. Whereas as an totally adult, you're like, this is crazy inappropriate to be saying. Yeah. So we'll talk about it. But other than that, yeah, it was interesting to revisit it. I was excited to watch it again. Uh-huh. And there were some parts that I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh-huh. There were a lot of parts that I was like, whoops, I don't remember that. <laughs> Glad we're not watching it with the kids. Okay. <laughs> Little Monsters, 1989. This was directed by Richard Greenberg. This was his only feature. He went on to do, I think he directed like one episode of Tales from the Crypt. That was about it. Weird. I don't even know how he got this job. He's dead now, but I tried to find interviews, and I really couldn't. I found one interview of the Howie Mandel show with Fred Savage as the guest. What? And they talked a little bit about the experience. What did they say? Well, they were talking about the location of the underworld was Uh in this huge abandoned factory in, like, North Carolina or South Carolina. Weird. And it was condemned. And they set up everything, and they said all the crew was wearing face masks, but the actors weren't. So they were like behind the mask being like, no, guys, it's okay, really. As the actors were running around exposed to whatever kind of... Breathing in asbestos. Yeah, and so, but I mean, it was interesting. Um, But I didn't, I couldn't find anything really as far as details. So he's a mystery man. Yeah, I was wondering why Richard Greenberg got selected, but I will tell you he's no stranger to Hollywood. He's actually a major player because... His career was, he went to art school, and then he made his career as a title designer. So, which makes sense, because the beginning of this film... So, like, title designer is the person who designs, like, the, the opening credit. Image? Yeah, okay. like that title card that comes out at mm-hmm. you, and it's like, sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, so cool. Like, we talked about that with the children. Yeah. Being a really cool one, and then some of them are really boring. Yes. This one is awesome. I really do like it does th- this one. Out. So that's not a surprise, but he was extremely successful and was responsible for some of the most famous titles we know. Some of them, I couldn't even kind of write them all down, but here's just a a quick one. Um, Superman. Okay. Alien. No small potatoes. Predator. Calm down. Oh, here's one you might like. Death Becomes Her. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love that movie. So that's where Richard Greenberg really made his career. And then it was written by a a writing duo named Terry Rocio and Ted Elliott. And they went on to do, like, conquer Hollywood, basically. Good for them. Well, yeah. I mean, they're responsible. We could go on and on, too. But some of their big ones are Aladdin, Small Soldiers, Shrek, Pirates of the Caribbean. I I Yeah. All of those have a similar flavor in one of the main characters. Yeah, and like, you know, Monsters Incorporated idea, like that same notion. So I, uh, I'm going to see it. Okay. But yeah, there's definitely one of those films I just mentioned in particular that oh, you're yeah. like, yeah, that Duh. makes perfect sense. Yeah. And then the composer was David Newman. Um, he did Frankenweenie, Critters, Heathers, which we should probably do sometime soon, mm-hmm. Bill and Ted. And we don't normally do credits, but this is like... This is a big, big film. So it's a fully stacked deck. Oh, yeah. And it had a huge budget, but we'll talk about why it really became a cult film and not a major like hit of not the time. Not a blockbuster. But we'll get into that. Uh, the other thing we should mention before we start is our, our couple leads. Fred Savage is the obvious one. Mm-hmm. He's in his prime between Princess Bride and the Wizard. And then Howie Mandel plays mm-hmm. the monster, the main monster, Maurice. 
But then we also have Daniel Stern, who we really love. And he's making his third appearance on our podcast. Mm -hmm. We did an episode on Chud. And we did an episode on Get Crazy, a film that we really love. Uh, So, yeah. Both all of his uh, films, I have like in my head a chant. I'm like, Chud, Chud, Chud. Yeah. Get crazy. But what's what's the chant for this? Uh, I don't know. Oh, all right. (laughs) Um, The other small factoid that we should throw out there for people who may not know is this is a reunion of sorts for Daniel Stern and Fred Savage because Daniel Stern is actually the voice of the adult Kevin from The Wonder Years. He's the narrator of The Wonder Years, which is pretty awesome. That's mind-boggling information. Yes. (laughs) I I can't even believe that. And (gasps) maybe we should do a Six Degrees of Daniel Stern. Because also, we have Buzz from Home Alone in here. Yeah. There you go. Ooh. You're putting it all together. Okay, so we need to find our six steps, get ourselves over to Daniel Stern's house for dinner. Okay, you got it all figured out. Now I feel creepy for saying that. Never mind. No, I love your enthusiasm. (laughs) Don't ever lose that. I can't. All right, well, there's your backstory. You guys know what we're dealing with. If you haven't seen this, that's kind of bizarre, but... Well, what if they were born in the 90s or the Although 70s? I did think about this, because my one of my all-time favorite movies ever is The Goonies. And there are a lot of people who never saw it growing up. And what? if they watch it now, they're like, uh, okay, I don't get it. And I could see how Little Monsters, if you weren't like... Oh, if this wasn't you this, as yeah. the same age of Fred Savage, where you're like, yeah... If you just watch this now as an adult, it's like, um, okay. Like, it's not it's not that great of a movie, and it's kind of like, okay, I don't the, get what all the craze is about. Yeah, the childhood magic is lost if you aren't in the right, you know, sweet spot. Yeah, this is strictly nostalgia. It reminds me of Neon Brainiacs did an episode of House 2, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, and it's because I okay. grew up on it. <laughs> you know i didn't see it until we were adults and you were like you you haven't seen house two you just see house two and i was like whoa yeah and that's basically their takeaway was like uh okay i guess guess we should have seen it as kids <laughs> yeah <laughs> little monsters is kind of the same way but we did see it as kids yes all so right let's get into it this movie begins with of course any movie that fred savage is in he has to narrate like, mm-hmm. you, you cannot have Fred Savage without a voiceover. He's got a great voice for narration, He though. does. He, he should do books on tape. He should. He probably has. Oh, probably. So he's narrating. We learn that his family has moved into this new house. And so at night, he wakes up. He has some... I don't know why he has improved upon the alarm clock. <laughs> it's just an alarm clock, but he's added gizmos to it. But it essentially serves the same function as an alarm clock it wakes him up and he sneaks out of his bedroom uh, and goes downstairs uh he walks by his parents bedroom door and hears them fighting yes and then he goes into like their living room or whatever well first he goes and makes himself a peanut butter and onion sandwich which i'm gonna try okay well have um have fun doing that while i'm not at at the house for a long time. And I will not do it on a time when I'm about to wear a face mask. (laughs) Sounds disgusting. So he goes, turns on the TV, he's watching some cable access show, but then right as he's settling in, uh, his younger brother, who's actually played by Ben Savage, so his real life younger brother of Mm -hmm. Boy Meets World fame, he screams that there's a monster. So Fred has to hustle back 
in like hide out in his room. Yeah, Fred's name is Brian. Oh, right. We have this problem. I'm going to end up calling him Fred Savage yeah. the whole time, too. Brian. Brian. The character is Brian. And Eric is the name of the brother. Really cool name. Yeah, totes cool. Totally 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so his dad gives Eric a flashlight to protect himself from dad the Dad being Daniel Stern. Yes. The next morning... There's all sorts of little things that have happened around the house, like ice cream's been left on the counter, which his father spills on himself. There's a bike behind the car, and all of these things get blamed on Brian. So Brian's in a bad mood, and his bike is destroyed. Also, just the environment of the house is very chaotic and dysfunctional. There's a lot of inner fighting and a lot of turmoil, a lot of tension which mm-hmm. I think is really important for laying the groundwork for this film. Yeah, it's, I mean, the family has moved, the parents are fighting, there's monsters, whatever. <laughs> right. So he is. he blames his younger brother. And this is kind of where we meet our bully, played by the guy who <laughs> plays Buzz, the character's yeah. name, Ronnie, on this film. And for some reason, this is a whole character the arc that makes no sense when you watch the movie, but Ronnie begins as a bully. He'll yeah. he'll end as a friend, and we don't know how you get from point A to point B. There must have been a, like a deleted scene. Must be because it just doesn't make any sense. Okay, so they get into a fight at school. We also meet the school crush. Her name is Kirsten. Yeah, <laughs> she has uh, red hair. She's adorable. She's, She's okay. I'm gonna say it. Okay, it's Michelle Tanner. As a 10-year-old. Like, the, but why I say that? Michelle Tanner from, you know, how rude from Full House, but in her baby clothes, because it looks like a baby's outfit. She does have, like, weirdly oversized baby's clothes. It's like if um, the Mickey Mouse Club worked at Hot Dog on a Stick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's, put your, put a pin in it. That's good. That is it right there. Okay. So her name's Kirsten. She likes science. She's cute. She dresses like a baby. That's all you need to know. Oh, and Brian has a crush on her. And then after school, Eric offers to pay Brian to sleep in his room so that Brian will see there is a monster. And so he's like, for sure, going to take this up. Oh, and we get this really weird music montage of uh, Brian using the broken bicycle parts to build this like MacGyver contraption around the bed that we'll find out very quickly is designed to be able to drop the bed when he pulls a switch. Mm -hmm. The idea being that he will trap anything that comes out from underneath. Yeah, and he's got that. He also has a lure of Cool Ranch Doritos that he has put as a a full mandorla, like a halo around his bed. Yeah. And he goes to sleep. (laughs) Absolutely. Who can, who can, uh, who among us can... Avoid the call of the Cool Ranch Doritos at 5.30 in the morning. In that's, the 80s, for sure. That's when he wakes up, and he... This Brian is- hops into action. It's weird. He just goes in for a fight with this monster. Which is really strange, because this is the beginning of, like... This is kind of a creepy premise and dark, is... There is somebody in his room, yeah. and you can hear the sound of eating. It kind of reminds me of Ravenous with the licking of the uh, leg. Yeah. No. But I'm like... I would be 
freaked out if yeah. I heard somebody eating in the dark in my room. And he no. doesn't. He's like, oh, it's game on. And he pulls his little bike switch and the bed drops, so trapping the monster. Yes. And I think this also speaks a little bit about the home environment because he doesn't call to his mom and dad to help him. He's just going to show show up yeah. and throw down with this monster by himself. He's yeah. got it figured out. Either that or maybe he's just a little, like, cocky little sociopath. I don't know. Yeah, well, we meet maybe. the monster. Yes. And it is Howie Mandel in his prime. Is, um, this okay. is post... Okay, so a little fun fact for you guys that you probably already knew. But he was the voice of Gizmo in Gremlins. But this is before <laughs> what a rule. Uh, Bobby's World, which I watched as a kid. I did not. Um, so he is decked out in this latex and makeup costume, which is actually pretty cool looking costume. He's got this um, battle vest that's like a, a leather, leather sleeveless vest with all these things on it hanging like on pins it you know, and yeah military medals or ribbons bits and bobs and he's like a punk rock monster because he's got a mohawk and yep. everything he's got blue skin with purple moles except he's the opposite of cool as far as his demeanor i'm sure he was cool to kids in the 80s was but he? as an adult i really want to like you know slap him and set him down and tie him to a chair because he i don't know if he was on cocaine during this shot but Ooh. he just, I don't think so. I just think because he has I think ADHD. It's just high like, intensity. He just is intensity and he is all in in this movie. And yes. I, you know what? After thinking about this a lot, love it or hate this performance, Howie Mandel really like brought his A game to this. I mean, he, he committed. He committed to being the biggest knockoff Beetlejuice you could find, and he did a really good job. Oh, I don't think that's a fair assessment. I mean, I see it, but I think they were doing their own thing. I'm going to be generous with that. I don't. I think that that was the marching orders, was to be very much like Beetlejuice. And if you don't believe me, here's how he's talking when we first meet him. Boo. (laughs) Keep an eye out for monsters! (laughs) Okay. It's intense. It's a lot. A lot of a lot. It's the opposite of anybody I could ever hang out with. If you could be like, (laughs) worst case scenario, you're on an island. Who would, you know, who would be the worst person you could hang out with? I would say Howie Mandel as Maurice in Little Monsters. I would (laughs) find a coconut and bash my brains in. Either that or you could just like settle in. And be no, like, you could settle in. I could not. I'd probably just end up just like him by the end. I, I would turn am exhausted into a watching him in this movie. There's a lot of gesticulating, jumping, and uh, emoting. It's a lot. <laughs> it's really intense. Whew, it's exhausting to even try and discuss, quite frankly. So we meet this monster. Uh, some people might call him a space cowboy. His friends call him Maurice. <laughs> and um, all of this chip eating and wrestling wakes up his dad, who comes in and he turns on a light. And we this is where we learn an important fact, that the monsters disappear. They don't, like, cease to exist, but their bodies physically disappear, and all that is left is a crumpled pile of clothing when the light is on them. Okay, this is... A pretty cool little effect that definitely stood out when yeah. you watched this for the first time as a kid as oh, being yeah. cool. However, uh, Fred Savage realizes very quickly that the sunlight will kill a monster. Yes. And as Maurice is pleading with him for his life, Fred just sits there like, nope. 
gotcha sucker and just watches him like die it's very sadistic it is but also this is somebody who broke and entered into your house and And ate your doritos yeah and is in a child's bedroom yeah already the premise is very creepy so yeah i kind of was like well the film could have ended right here yeah um, so then Brian finally relents at some point and he's like, oh, fine, I guess I'm not going to let you fully die. And Maurice sprouts some horns as a result, but he gives Brian an extremely long speech and then invites him into the underworld. Yeah, he talks about how he's never been trapped in 200 years. Okay. This is the first time. So he's a 200 year old monster. Look, I feel like he could have <laughs> really worked on himself in those 200 years. He could have. Also... His chaos just never ends. It is just pure madness to listen to him. Yeah. Here's another sample. Can't. Ooh. I hate that word. Ooh. Ooh. That word's like cock out of me. No. Can't. Can't. You can't jam a basketball. You can't have a hand grenade go off in your lap and survive. Those things you can't do. But you can take a walk on the wild side. Okay. We talked about it at the beginning. Who else does he remind you of besides Beetlejuice? Hands down, the genie from Aladdin. Yeah, 100%. and I, I learned it when he said, "Don't worry, this is a, this, this is just a drill." And then he held up a drill, and I was like, "That's one hundred percent a genie joke." Yeah, and it makes sense because they wrote Aladdin yeah. after this, which Perfect. was just a couple years later. Who was also blue, but okay. Yeah. What? Yeah. So they write rules for high intensity, high energy, bad joking, blue people. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There you go. You figured it out. You cracked the code. Cracked the code. So he takes Brian down into Monsterland, which you enter through beneath the bed. It's like a black, kind of like a warehouse in North Carolina or whatever. Yeah. It's actually the set is kind of cool where they go down these rickety old stairs yeah. to essentially you know that scene in teenage mutant ninja turtles when danny goes to like hang out with the foot soldiers and it's just like a skate park and arcades everywhere it's that idea sorry did i say danny i mean dan oh (laughs) oh oh yeah sorry you went there okay (laughs) inside joke for our ninja turtle fans (laughs) (laughs) dad it's just dan now okay Okay, so he takes him down, and this, um, there are staircases that lead up to every child's bed, I guess, which is alarming, and there's monsters everywhere, but Maurice isn't really focused on that just yet. He wants to show Brian the fun stuff, so he takes him to what's like an arcade, because apparently all boys in the 80s only wanted to go to arcades. Sure, naturally. But what it is, it, it really reminded me of Pinocchio's Pleasure Island. Oh, okay. Because it's like all of these, and we learn this as time wears on, that the if children stay down there, they become monsters themselves. And I think it's implied that all of the monsters were once children who stayed too long in the underworld. Oh, yeah. And it is kind of weird because it's like we'll find out later that the leader there basically traps them to make them his like objects of desire and play and so he's like i'll you'll stay here this film also the obnoxiousness and the kind of inappropriateness reminded me i always got this confused because i saw them both at the same time and i couldn't remember which was which mm-hmm. of another one called um drop dead fred Ugh. i have not seen that since i was a kid but i'll i'll guarantee you it's probably more obnoxious probably and i probably won't like it no let's not cover it no i don't i don't think i want to but i 
always got these two confused. Always. And I don't know if they have anything in common. Well, Drop Dead Fred was like an imaginary friend. And this is kind of that idea. Kind of. Because he's a friend that nobody else really knows about. And they're obnoxious. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So then uh, Maurice takes Brian to scare other kids. He's got his nightly job of like popping up in different kids' rooms, wreaking havoc and bouncing this is a montage where we find out maurice is like a horrible person awful he just (laughs) horrible they go to the bully's room house and replace his lunch his sandwich gets cat food put on it and in his apple juice maurice drinks the apple juice and then pees into the apple juice so it's urine he just urinates into his apple juice and they do all these crazy things just like tons of property damage and just terrorizing everybody like felony level they do one thing that i recognized when Uh i saw it then i was like oh i definitely got that from little monsters oh no i did one of the things in here what i didn't do the pee in a bottle make somebody drink it however side story Mm -hmm. when i was in first grade um i saw somebody go to a bully this was on our school bus Mm -hmm. there was this kid who always bullied this other kid and this kid snapped one day. He came, he got on the bus, and he had uh, one of those, not like a big gulp, but like, you know, like a um, convenience store uh, drink. Mm-hmm. And when the bully got on the bus, this is a true story. I saw it right in front of me. Ugh. When the bully got on the bus, he opened up going. the cup and threw a cup of piss all over the bully's <gasps> face. And the bully started crying and ran off. Oh. And never messed with that kid again. Like, that was full-on 80s, right? Uh. As 80s as it gets. So when I saw this scene of him making the bully drink piss, I was like, dude, there's some truth there. Uh. But the one that I did that I'm not proud of, but I quickly learned to never do this again, was I had a very close friend growing up. We were like brothers, and we would do stuff to each other all the time. I one day got the wise idea to do the saran wrap trick Mm -hmm. and I saran wrapped his toilet and he went in to go pee in the middle of the night and it just deflected off the saran wrap and just sprayed all over the bathroom and he was so angry with me yeah for good reason yeah and I quickly learned that wasn't funny we all have those though I did the bucket on the door prank okay but I didn't have it attached to anything so the bucket just (laughs) fell (laughs) I just being like a product of this time and even partaking in some of this stuff I'm like this is bad this is really bad and as a parent now watching this I'm like why would anybody think this is okay to like invite your kids to watch and be like let's laugh at how awesome this is yeah absolutely they're horrible horrible. and then uh, after all that Maurice gives Brian a pair of shades and it's like good luck bye and then we have a whole montage of kids facing the consequences of what Brian and Maurice had done the night before. So it's kids getting shouted at by their parents for things they didn't do. Oh, and the highlight, <sighs> the bully <laughs> drinks piss. Like, yes. We see that. Also, it's such a weird scene. He also eats and is grossed out by the cat food. But, okay, yeah. I mean, I haven't had meat in... I don't know, decades at this point, a couple decades. But I don't think that eating cat food would have been like something that was like, whoa, that's disgusting. No, you would have just been like, what? This is a different sandwich, (laughs) whatever. But I wanted to bring up something, too, because I don't think it was right here, but I don't want to forget the soundtrack to this was supposed to be released and it wasn't. We'll talk about why later. 
There was a song on the soundtrack called Let's Go by this band called The Paladins, which was this 80s rockabilly band. And why I wanted to mention that is I have their record because um, they also had a song called, I think it was called Let's Buzz from Slumber Party Massacre 2 oh. that the driller killer yeah. is using. And I was like, dang, these guys had a sound like a song on two really awesome, like classic soundtracks. But... Legacy. Okay, so after they're done terrorizing the entire neighborhood and mm-hmm. all these kids are now in horrible trouble and they think it's hilarious, we've now been introduced to Brian's like being brought into the fold of the monsters. Yeah, and he they, it's like another night, like the next night's mischief, but they go to creep on Kirsten, yeah. the cute girl that dresses like Michelle Tanner, and while Brian is busy gazing at her, Maurice takes the opportunity to turn his hand into a dog, and the dog eats her homework. If only it was that simple. I know. Here's what he actually says. Man's best friend is right hand. So if you miss that, he's referring to his right hand as being his best friend. Then he licks his hand. And this is, um, we're not reaching here. This is totally what the intent was. And this is not the first or the last time this film will have incredibly sexual jokes. Yeah. Around children. It's inappropriate, for sure. Very inappropriate. It went totally over my head as a kid. Of course it did, yeah. Absolutely. Didn't even pick up on it. We should also mention the mole scene here. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes. So... Because we have to. Maurice takes off one of his moles and puts it on Fred Savage. Okay. For any other actor in the world, this would not be noteworthy. (laughs) He has a... Fred Savage has a rather remarkable career renaissance in the 90s as an adult man where he is. Is it on the first Austin Powers? I think it's two. two. Yeah. He shows up in Austin Powers 2 and he has a a mole. He is the mole. He, He is a mole. He has a mole. And the mole moves. And Austin Powers just points at it and yells, mole. Mole, 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 mole. <laughs> and so yes. to think that years earlier, Maurice put the mole on Fred Savage makes me wonder if um, Austin Powers, mm-hmm. that scene was intentional. Maybe he only likes to take <laughs> mole rolls. Okay. I don't know. And then we also get to meet the monster bully. So there is a monster bully. His name is Snick. Snick is... He's scary. He is scary. And we'll talk about a scene later that's the darkest of the whole film. But is, like, he definitely is very disturbing. And I could see why. When I read reviews of all the adults now that, like, haven't watched it since yeah. they were kids, their memory is all, this film scared me to death. Yeah. I loved it, but it scared me. It's him. He's the scary part of this film. Him and... Boy later. And boy yeah. later. But, yeah, so we meet Snick and boy, yeah, he's pretty crazy. Yes. And um, we meet Snick uh, when he catches Brian, who's going to go up the staircase to the head monster. You don't see the head monster, but we hear about him. His name is Boy. And Snick is getting mad, and Maurice kind of rescues him from, from yeah. Snick. Yeah. And then um, we flash forward to this is where things start to get a little shaky because Brian finds out that Kirsten gets a zero on her homework because... Maurice used his right hand to turn into a dog Mm -hmm. and chew up her homework. And so Brian's like, hey, this isn't as fun as I thought it would be. Yeah. Kind of doing mean things. Yeah. He gets into a fight with Maurice over this issue. And 
as they're arguing, uh, Brian's dad comes up the stairs and he's like, hey, bud, can we talk? And Maurice turns back into clothes. Because the light was flipped on, yeah. This is a scene that I was like, wait, this is weird because... In modern parenting, it would immediately be a red flag, but I feel yeah. like in 80s parenting, you don't even notice. Yeah, we would be, if there were men, a full men's outfit on either of our child's floors, we would Clearly, notice. this does not belong to our kid, and yeah. there's like a leather vest and jeans sitting on the floor yes. of our kid's bedroom. I'd be like, um, whose clothes are these? Yes. No question here. Nope, it's fine. <laughs> it's just fine. But they br- the dad brings Brian down in the to Eric's bedroom so it's the whole family the mom joins them and they reveal that they're having a trial separation but Brian immediately is like you're getting a divorce he Mm -hmm. doesn't take it well and he storms upstairs and it's actually a really sad scene it was totally lost on me in the 80s because it wasn't part of my 80s experience but I feel like so many kids related pretty hard to this and it was fairly dramatic watching it as an adult and like the youngest son is like it's not me i'll be better and it's super sad yeah we'll be better we'll be better yeah there's some real um depth to this film that i think often gets overlooked yeah it's it's heartbreaking and you know it it is what it is and then brian goes back upstairs he throws a fit he's very mad that's his gut reaction to this information he goes upstairs and maurice has overheard everything so he knows and he's like brian the only thing that's going to help you take your mind off of this is to go with me into the underworld yeah and he goes in there and they start doing some more like scaring kids and stuff like that and this is where it really starts to lose brian because they go into one room they go into is to a a infant a baby to a baby in a crib crib. and they're gonna try and scare it and he's like what is wrong with you guys and they all think it's hilarious and so that's when we start to see this unfolding interestingly brian discovers that he's actually starting to kind of turn into a monster himself yeah he's shrinking and things are starting to like change on him yeah. So it's like the longer he's around this group, the more he's starting to become one of them. I would also like to say when he measures himself and realizes he's shrinking, I was like, okay, why? And then I remembered the movies called Little Monsters. Hmm. But all of the monsters are big. They're, They're huge, all yeah. adult size. <laughs> yeah. It makes zero sense. Yeah. Anyway, he's in particular is shrinking. Brian stays home from school that day and begins cutting all the legs off the bed. So he has been traumatized by this, the the way that the monsters are. He's realizing that scaring babies and messing up people's lives is not entertaining. Yeah. And he doesn't want any part of it. He's just done with it. So he cuts all the beds off or all the legs off the beds. His mom thinks that's his way of dealing with the information about the divorce. But he's trying to just make it so that no monsters can get into their house. And meanwhile, in the underworld, we go down and we're eavesdropping on a conversation between Snick and Maurice. Yeah. And Snick is very upset. And we're not going to harp on this, but there's some scenes in this film that are very questionable as to why they would even say that in the first place. And this is one of those scenes Mm -hmm. is Snick is really upset because Brian's not down there. And he's saying that Boy, who is the leader... We still haven't met Boy. Yeah. Boy is very upset because Boy wants Brian 
because he gets lonely at times and he wants to play with him. Mm-hmm. You know what? Let's leave him alone. We'll just leave him alone and... and, and you just don't get it, Maury. Sometimes boy gets a little lonely. You wanted to play with him. Why doesn't he just play with himself? <laughs> the way it's read is not... There's no sugarcoating what the intent was there. And that's one of the scenes in this film that stands out for a lot of people as being... Um, very dark and I, I can very see where it would trigger people. And then there's the other scene of the boy with the hands on his face that's yeah, this equally upsetting. This is definitely the worst scene in the whole film. Um, and if you don't know which scene we're talking about, it's probably because you haven't watched this in a long time. It's unsettling. It for is sure. unsettling. And there'll be a few more scenes towards the end. But I just want to put that out there because you can't ignore it because a lot of people read it, it that It is way. definitely there. And it's hard to say, oh, no, no, they just meant this. Yeah. So anyway, this is all happening in the underworld where we see it's very chaotic and it's yes. much darker than Brian was led to believe where it was just going to be like a fun place to stay. Right. And since Maurice has failed to bring Brian down into the underworld to turn him, Snick decides he's going to take matters into his own hands. Obviously, we've covered the fact that Brian has cut off all the legs on the beds, but Snick finds a way in by unfolding the fold-out couch. This is a really cool scene, actually. It's creepy. It is really creepy. And he comes, and he, instead of taking Brian, takes his baby brother, or his kid brother, Eric, with him into the underworld as, like, a hostage. And the mom wakes up Brian and is like, have you seen Eric? And obviously he knows exactly what's happened. He puts it together very quickly and he decides he's going to assemble a posse. And I thought this was so fun as a kid. Um, it's, yeah. it's weird to watch it as an adult and be like, oh. It's, this is very 80s too. This kind of Goonies monster squad. Like, yeah. every, you know, you get your, your gang together and you're going to go just take it head on. Yeah. So he grabs Eric's best friend. Who is named Todd, who okay, is... Todd. <laughs> Apparently, we yes. know who Todd really is. Yes. Okay, guys, we have to discuss it. We are not going to sample it here. Go on YouTube, if you haven't already, and look up the Apparently Kid interview. Yes. And you will discover probably one of the funniest kids I've ever seen in my life. Apparently, my grandpa gave me Apparently, okay, we I'm can't going do it. to, um, apparently... The Powerball. That is this kid. This is definitely <laughs> the Powerball. This that, is definitely this kid. <laughs> so that's Eric's best friend, Todd. Also, he's wearing a red beret. He's the best dork ever. Then they, I love berets in 80s movies. I had one in the 80s. I had a beret that I wore... And I had a little pin with a skull on it that said, best with the best, die like the rest. I do have a photo. Oh, maybe I'll post it on our Instagram. I have a photo from 1989. I think I'm at Niagara Falls. Oh. And I'm wearing neon shorts. And I, my arms are crossed. We have a photo. And I am wearing a black beret with a pin that says, mess with the best, die Do you want to like put that out? I, Dude, hell yeah. Okay. I got a killer rat tail. I currently have a beret that I wear. <laughs> and it has a button that says... Give pizza a chance. <laughs> it was like the f- <laughs> it's like the Frog Brothers from Lost Boys too. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've got Todd. We've got Brian. Got to bring in Kirsten because she's sciency. Mm-hmm. And then inexplicably, they bring in Ronnie the bully. Yeah, this is no f- explanation. I thought I missed something. Nope. No explanation. So they assemble themselves some lights and they go in, flashlights blazing, and they are going to get Eric. They go in and finally confront and meet Boy. 
boy is quite the villain. And this is what was very traumatizing for a lot of mm. kids. Because he is... I thought he was pretty scary as a kid, but as an adult, I'm like, dude, this is He's dark. creepy. So he's got, like, prep school clothes on. He's got, you know, a blazer. Like, like he's a rich kid from a rich school. He looks like a, yeah, like a boy. He looks like a Catholic school kid or something. He's mm-hmm. got knee-high socks on. And, and shorts. But he's got, like, a Texas Chainsaw Massacre fake face on to yes. look like a young kid. You can't see it at first, but it's slowly revealed in the course of his monologue that and, he's not a real boy. And he's covered, he's like surrounded by toys and stuff mm-hmm. to try and like lure the kids in. This is p- played by Frank Whaley, who was in a ton of stuff. He's actually a really good actor. What I know him from the best, though, is he's uh, Robbie Krager from the Doors movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. But he's, oh. he's a good actor. Um, but boy, this guy this character is very disturbing. Yeah. And we finally meet him, but the the crew is like, give us Eric. And he's, yeah. he gives this ultimatum. Yeah. He says, I'll give you, you're all free if Brian stays. Yeah. You need to stay with me. Yeah. And Brian's like, nope, no deal. Deal or no deal. Howie Mandel. It's all tied together. No <laughs> yeah. deal. Yeah. He grows a little soul patch. <laughs> um. <laughs> and, and then he reveals that Eric, who is... I don't understand. You kind of described him earlier as being drugged when we were talking about it. He definitely is very loopy. He's on like like a wheel. He's like groggy. He's on a giant... It's like a dartboard. Yeah, and he's like, Brian? And he's totally like, clearly... He's out of it. I read it as he's been like kidnapped and drugged and now he's tied up. It's, It's unclear. Or if he's like in a sleepwalking kind of fugue, it's just not clear. That's how I read it as a kid was that he was like half awake and not really aware of what was happening. But as an adult, I'm like, what the F? I mean, this is kind of crazy. And then, boy grabs jarts and starts throwing jarts at Eric's head as he's spinning, drugged up, and and they're not going to have it. This The the Munster Squad posse here is like, nope, we're not taking this as as an option. And they shine their lights and they kind of blast uh, the monster boy yep. whose face melts off. Yep, that's this gross. This is really gross. Basically symbolically revealing that he's the a true monster. form, that he is not a child that wants to play with him and give him a cool life in the yeah. underworld, that he's actually this monster mm-hmm. who controls the underworld and wants to like keep children yeah. for himself. So this is, this is when we talked about how this film is very dark. Yeah. Um, as a kid, you could see this as being like, ooh, scary. But as an adult, like, this is heavy stuff. Yes, and all the toys start attacking. Like, there are the, like, toy planes start shooting. They shoot out the lights on that the kids have been blasting boy with. They're, uh, you know, drill or saws come up out of the floor. Yeah, it's crazy. They're being attacked, and they're all eventually thrown into, it's like a pit filled with stuffed animals. Except for Eric. Eric is still hidden away. I do like this scene. This is pretty absurd. It's so dumb. So Maurice is also there. He like comes up out of the stuffed animals. Who knows how he got there or how long he's been there. So it's all of them. And they, Kirsten, since she's sciencey, goes, oh, grab that old telephone. And there's like an 18, you know, hundred, I don't know, when was the it's telephone? It's like the one where you put like the bell up to your ear yeah, and like crank it. Yeah, like the wood one from yeah. the Lassie where you call the operator and ask yeah. to be connected. She's like, grab that. I got these two pencils and we're going to generate light. And they crank something. I, you know what, though, as dumb as this is, 
It's like Data and the Goonies. Yeah. I do love about the 80s that kids were, and Gremlins was the same way with uh-huh. the dad. Like, they, all these contraptions were created. Yeah. And we were those types of kids. I know for sure with myself, I had this contraption where I ran this pulley system from my light switch all the way over to my bed mm-hmm. so that when I got into bed, I didn't have to get up, turn off the light, and then walk through the dark oh, back to Too my bed. Too exhausting. Too much yeah. work. I would flip this little switch on my bed and it would turn off the light. Of course, it could only go one way, but when I woke up in the morning, it wouldn't matter. So I do kind of like this, that she's like this clever MacGyver character. Yeah, totally. And so she uses an old-timey telephone and two pencils to generate a tremendous amount of light, which turns Maurice into a pile of clothes, and they slide the clothes under the door, and he sets them free. But now it's time for them to regroup. They've lost all their weapons, so they go back. They stock up on lights and return to do the final attack on Boy. They build, like, these light armor suits. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's cool. It is kind of cool. It's sort of like Data with his bright lights. It is kind of yeah. like that, yeah. And they, they instantly destroy Boy here. The lights just blow him to smithereens. Well, he's got... Boy has Eric, and they blast him right away. They kill him. Mm-hmm. Except they don't kill uh, Snick. Well, I, I don't even know why they did this scene, because he reassembles himself, but they just go past him. Well, so. um, they come up and Maurice has a flamethrower because it yep. also couldn't be the 80s without a flamethrower. Gotta have and it. And lights him on fire this very Night of the Creeps. Um, yeah. It would be cool if he was like, thrill me and then just shot <laughs> <laughs> He shoots him and they're like, okay, we've got Eric back. The monsters have been killed. Let's get go. out. Yes, and they've also emphasized that they gotta get out before sunrise or they're all gonna be monsters forever. The bully Ronnie's like, I'm cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> this is the scene that I remember the most as a kid. Because really? this really did stick with me. The idea of being trapped in the underworld. Because they, okay, so what happens is they run up the staircase to go to uh, Brian's bed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's trapped. It's it's turned back into wood. And it's they cool kick it too, because it turns into wood right as they're yeah. arriving. And they realize like, oh shit, we're trapped here. And then they get this bright idea that because of time changes, they can run backwards to different cities and maybe catch one that that hasn't changed yet. And they start going and trying all these different cities. Like trying to get to the next time zone. Yeah, which, um, you know, watching this as an adult, I'm like, this scene is way too long. But But technically they would have been running for many hours if they're running from time zone to time zone. But it is cool because it's like Vegas and, you know, Chicago or whatever. And they're basically running from the East Coast to the West Coast Uh trying to to catch a a door that will open. And I just remember this so vividly as a kid and thinking this was such a crazy concept. They finally find one in California. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they climb out and they're not in a bed. No. But they are in a bed. There's a homeless man in a folding, like, lawn chair, the 80s kind, that recline all the way. Yeah. And they just come up on a on the beach. Of, like, Malibu. Right under a homeless man's bed. So they climb out and they make it, except Maurice and Brian have to say their goodbyes. Because yeah. now they're BFFs and they've been through all this together. Keep in mind, this is like a... 200 year old monster and a child and it's been three days and he you know their friendship was founded on him sneaking around his bedroom while he sleeps so ultimately it's kind of weird but it is this touching moment of brian being like i don't want to leave you and maurice is like here have my stinky leather battle vest instead and gives it to him and they say their goodbyes 
there is one kind of weird uh, tagline here, <laughs> which I can see makes for a cool tagline for a poster. But as an adult, watching a film that has now been kind of drenched in um, questionable child relations. Yeah. He tells them where there's a bed. Um, there's, there's a way. There's a way. Gross. And I'm like, maybe not the best thing to say to a child. Don't have a line where an adult man says that to a little boy. Yeah. That's all. So then he sneaks out and then they run for no reason into the ocean. Which is a strange <laughs> choice considering that it's sunrise, but whatever. And the talking heads come on and that's kind of cool. A little out of place, but okay. And then the final scene is they're at a phone booth and they call their parents and they're like, we found Eric. And they said, cool, where are you? And they say... Malibu and the film ends and that is Little Monsters and it is quite a journey Mm -hmm. uh wow what a totally different film watching this yeah the second time totally different experience to watch it as an adult it's not I don't want to like rain on anybody's parade it's an okay film it really isn't that great of a film it's more unsettling than yeah it's just dark and I think that there are there's a reason this film should be watched and discussed. I just don't know if it's for the reasons that people remember. It's not a like fun. It is not a watch. fun movie. Yeah, it's fun to remember it being fun, but it's a pretty dark and depressing movie. Um, it went on afterwards to spawn like a comic book miniseries, but it was a massive failure. And here is why: not because the film was bad, it was because it had the unfortunate timing of being put out by Vestron right as Vestron was going bankrupt. Could not have been worse timing. That's horrible. Vestron dumped $7 million into it Uh and then couldn't afford to do anything. So they sold it to United Artists who could barely put it into, at the height, 179 theaters. And its $7 million budget only made back under $800,000 total. Oh, ouch. It was bad. And it just flopped. And where it got, like all cult films, was in video rentals. Yes, like me. People our age, yeah, who would rent it and remembered it being cool from the video store. Mm -hmm. But it was a massive commercial failure. And it's just since become like one of those classic 80s films. What is your final take on this? What's your read on this? Because we've talked already about how it's dark and how there are these sexual undertones that are Uh kind of undeniable. But ultimately, what do you think the film is about? Because it is not as simple as kid finds monster, goes into the underworld and defeats it and comes out. It's it's not that simple. Right. So my my read's pretty straightforward. I would say that this is a film about a child uh, processing a divorce and the end of his family in the way that he knew it. So his the whole movie is, like, every time something happens with a monster, it's right after his parents have been fighting or saying something bad's happened. So there's this sense that it's all relating back to his parents' marriage dissolving. And it reaches its peak right as their parents announce the divorce. So I think what's happening is, and I, I thought about this a lot while we were watching uh, the children face off with Boy, Because Boy is a child who's destroyed, and all of these toys are being destroyed, like the end of Mm -hmm. childhood in a way. So it's really kind of a, in in my personal read, it seemed like a violent reaction against um, the heartache and heartbreak of a family dissolving. There is uh, another scene that would add to that is the very final scene of the film 
when they call on the telephone and they're like, we got Eric back. Yeah. The first thing is they're like, well, your dad's here too. Yeah. And it's basically like, look, because you defeated the monster and you found your brother, the, the parents are also going to reconcile and it's all going to be okay. Kind of, but it also isn't. It's, right. You're left going, but they're not getting back together. But you see the hope in his face when he yeah. hears that they're together. Yeah. But you know that they're only there as an adult. You know they're only there because they're both worried about the children. Yeah. Not yeah. that they're like, oh, while you guys were missing, we decided to hook up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're good now. So that's it. I mean, that's Little Monsters. I... I'm surprised at how much more, and maybe we're way off base, but I don't think so. Nah. I think it's much more complex than people give it credit for. Yeah. I, I don't think people are really seeing it for what it is. And we I think, just look at the things we've talked about. Yeah. I think, and honestly, we watch a ton of movies. I'd say this is one that's really caused a lot of conversation between us outside of the podcast as we kind of puzzled over where we thought this was going and how to approach it because we also know it's precious to some people. Yeah, and it is indeed a cool cult classic. And there are some really fascinating scenes to it. Awesome, fun scenes. So there you go. That's uh, Little Monsters. You can help us by rating, reviewing, subscribing. We are anywhere you get your podcasts. We're at Amazon and Spotify and Podbean and all that stuff. We're at lasergraves.com. Mm-hmm. Please spread the word. Tell your friends. We really do appreciate it. If you want to follow us, we're on Instagram at lasergraves. Our personal sites, I'm at death at 33rpm on Instagram. I'm at Mariah Rose Wimmer. And that's all we got for you until next week. So I hope you enjoyed our take on Little Monsters. Bye. <laughs> Bye.